0: You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Welcome
1: to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, banks it in. With your host, Calius Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head.
2: Seku Smith, the tipping is good at the buzzer. And then Stumps
3: slices across the lane,
1: lifts up a hook on the right.
3: No! But a dynamite stick back slam. Now it's time
1: for the tip up. Oh, yeah, the Hang Time Podcast coming to you again from. Hangtime headquarters here in Atlanta, Georgia. Sekou Smith from the Hangtime blog at com. Vince Thomas, my partner in crime. Vince. Yo. NBA draft. <laughs> free agency, Summer League. Up, the Entourage thinking? season premiere. Yeah. The BET Awards. World Cup soccer. What? Where do you want to go first? Where, Wimbledon, where, 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 Wimbledon. Wimbledon. We're
4: not going to go to the BET Awards because... <laughs> I didn't watch that didn't watch it we will not ever watch it
1: no didn't watch that
4: Ent- you know what entourage is getting to me it, it it's it's sort of mirrored the the n b a draft man it's just well uh, we, we have to, we have to watch the n b a draft <laughs> because we cover it you know but if if I wasn't covering the n b a draft this year, I'd be really disappointed really? in how underwhelming everything was from the talent. To the trades and it's sort of like entourage like entourage at this point I just watch watch entourage because I've been watching it for what, just because eight, you have to? eight seasons in the yeah those are like my brothers so I just watch them to see what 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 they're up to but the show is the show's terrible
1: wow so you you've given up on entourage it's just i'm a- gonna
4: continue to watch it but I hope this is the last year just like I hope shaq retires and doesn't come back I hope entourage does not come back
1: and you hope there's never another nBA draft
4: i no nah, man I just <laughs> you know what there's no way that the nBA draft the two thousand and eleven NBA draft is gonna be as boring as the two thousand and ten NBA draft because free agency has just totally taken over every everything involved with the NBA right. and almost suffocated everything. So every trade was like slashing payroll trades. There were no like talent, real real true blue talent trades, you know. Right. It was just it was a it was a really difficult draft to sit through. You had it a really tough was. night watching the draft. I did. I did. Well, if I if I wasn't covering it, I I might have turned it off, maybe even before the lottery ended.
1: Wow, yeah. well I mean you're not the only person who had a tough tough weekend, tough night. Um, the whole Hangtime crew is here today, minus uh, the man who usually runs the controls for us. Clint Hawkins is missing in action. Where, where uh, do you think he is? I don't know. I'm. Let's but just thank let, thank God Keith showed up today to you know to carry his lunch because. If we didn't have him, I'm not sure Micah might have to be in there, uh, you know, pressing buttons, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> if you, I don't think if any like, of us want that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> if, if you had to, like, you know,
1: if I had to guess where, if you had to guess where, is, where.
4: Where do you think he Where do you think he'd be at?
1: All I know is orange jumpsuits are probably involved, <laughs> and.
4: You know, you th- you think he some, got into some illegal activity. Some bail money
1: might be needed. Wow. I'm just glad he, he didn't use his one phone call to call the hide out here, because if he had, wow. you know, I'm not sure we could have rubbed together enough nickels to get him out. Big but. C,
4: I'm not a part of this, man. But <laughs> You probably somewhere <laughs> sipping some mai Thai's on the beach, man. I, no, we just. You know, I'm not a part of this one, Big C. We're
1: bagging our guy for no reason. We we, we got to find out where he is, though. We got to yeah. get the A team out and Cause find we, Clint Hawkins.
4: Because we miss him. I walked in today. and not. I know, love to just, see Keith. Keith. Don't get me wrong.
1: Exactly. We love to see him,
4: but you know it's 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 just it's but natural. I was a little nervous it's, it's tradition to to expect to see big C sitting in the
1: no I was in front of the big board I was definitely nervous I didn't, I didn't know what had happened um We'll be making some calls when we get done, but Keith, we appreciate you showing up. We applaud you for the for the master uh of controls assist Yo, here today who we got coming on today? listen we we're gonna go back. I know you hate it. <laughs> So I, I hate to break this news to you, <laughs> but we're going to talk NBA draft with John Schumann, <sighs> no, NBA.com's dot com's own the numbers man himself. Big shoe, uh, and then we're also going to talk with Tom Penn. Nice, uh, you know, get former Sydney. NBA executive. We're going to yeah. get his take on uh, you know a lot of these things that are going to be free, agency, you know, talked about during stuff, free agency coming salaries, up here Thursday. Yes, structures. Absolutely, we got to get all of. The, there's so many details, so much minutia to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as we'd like to slap box in here and you know have our normal arguments, we got a lot of information yeah. to to get out uh, today. So, because yeah. um, this, I mean, it's really
4: what this is one of the most important summers in, a, in in recent history. May you know you you don't like to get into too much hyperbole. I was gonna say ever.
1: No, don't. But don't say don't that. Don't go there because it's, it's, that's the same thing I keep. Everybody keeps talking about, you know, LeBron is the greatest free agent ever. This is the greatest free agent class ever. And it's like, I think, but I think. It breaks. It's, 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 it's monstrous. Yeah. But to call it the greatest free agent class ever, let's be honest now. It's two super free agents deep, LeBron and Dwayne Wade. Who else in this crop do you take off whatever team he's on now and put him on another team and instantly make yourself championship contenders by himself? Well, I mean, you don't build around any of these other guys as the cornerstone.
4: No, but I I do think that um, and even though uh, you and I both probably don't expect D-Wade to even go anywhere and you and I probably don't expect Dirk to go anywhere. But Dirk is now going to opt out of his contract. So, I mean, technically you have to add him in there. Um,
1: yeah, but I'm I'm asking. And then you got I mean, are you, you are you telling you me that you take Dirk Nowitzki and build a championship team? You could right now around Dirk at this stage of his career. I don't, I'm you not could. sure you could do that.
4: You could with, with some with some of, with some of the things that are already in place and some of these other uh, with, with some of these other franchises. That's not it's what I'm possible. asking.
1: But I'm saying that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking mm-hmm. you is, can you take?
4: Yeah, I think he's a franchise player. Yeah, right. I do. But I'm, I'm saying, do you think he's player?
1: a championship player? Which means you take him, well, put pieces around him, and your team instantly becomes a championship contender. And remind yourself now, where where the Mavericks have been in the playoffs right. the last you know three you, four years. You
4: know what my answer to that would be? It you could, but it would be a much more difficult task than if you were trying to do that with LeBron James or or Dwayne Wade. But then I mean, you just got a lot of—I mean, Chris Bosh, Amari, no Joe Johnson, Rudy no Gay question. never gets mentioned. There's Fantastic a possibility players. Paul Pierce might even be a free agent. Ray right. Allen. Yeah, um, there's no, no doubt. There's know. a
1: deep, talented, crop of free agents. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we dive into free agent talk, let's let's take a step back, Vince, and uh, and analyze the draft a little bit. And NBA.com's own John Schumann was in uh, Manhattan for the draft, and he's going to join us now. Schu, how you doing, man? what's up
5: fellas what's going on we're good we're
1: good um how was the draft in person because we were here in Atlanta I was here in the studio um doing the draft show with Rick Camler and David Aldridge and Steve Smith and Kenny Smith and a whole bunch of guys here and I, I have to admit it was it was a bit underwhelming once we got past like the top six or seven picks you know it became this deal where you're kind of looking and wondering like does this you know does this guy have a chance to be to be anything more than you know a role player or uh, you know just a decent player? We just felt like there weren't a ton of stars in this draft, and I'm wondering if if y'all felt the same way watching it live in New York.
5: No, I agree. I think it was a kind of relatively quiet draft, and especially like you know. Once you got past the top five or six picks, yeah, you're right. It wasn't you know the the quality dropped off. And then you and the thing is, you knew who the f- top five picks were going to be, and you pretty much knew where they were going before the draft started. Um, and then of course there wasn't nearly as much trade action as we've seen in the in the in the past year. so there weren't there weren't really any fireworks, you know, there that night. Um, and plus the Knicks didn't have any first round picks, so the crowd wasn't <laughs> into it as much. Saw more Nets jerseys. I think the Knicks jerseys wow. there.
4: Um, there. So yeah,
5: was, it was it was kind of quiet. It was kind of a quiet night.
4: There was um, shoe. I don't know if you because you you were actually there, so I don't know if you were necessarily watching the telecast. But there was, I think it was after Memphis made a pick, they they flashed to a fan um who was like shaking his head with with his with his hands out saying like I don't I have no idea who we just picked <laughs> who like who who even is this this player and I think that there was a lot of that especially once you got out of the lottery you know
5: yeah oh absolutely i mean the the i mean i don't, I don't know how it is cuz i it's for me it's tough because i watch the nba all year and so i don't know half these college kids for the most part you know i don't you know some of them may have bigger names than i realize um but you know it's it is tough because you you especially for us when I mean, you watch the NBA you don't know a lot of these names and there weren't that many international players but still there was guys that you know people had a had a hard time identifying and
4: and I, and I think that we should probably differentiate what well at least what I mean when I say boring because this time next year we can be looking back on the you know 2010 draft and there could be. Yeah, it could have produced a lot of good players, but that just be if it ends up producing a lot of a lot of good players, does it mean that actually sitting through it, you know, real time, what was not was not boring? And I think it's because, for instance, Sekou and I were talking um, last week when we were discussing the draft. Uh, in in two thousand and nine, we 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 were all saying like, well, this isn't the most talent laden draft, but there were still players that we were familiar with and say, cool, say, you made a great point. You said because it was such a point guard-heavy draft. Absolutely. And we, we tend to know point guards and because, you know, they're running their squads in college. So even later in the draft, there was the Teagues and the, and the Ty Lawsons and, and whatnot and the Eric Mayners. In this draft, it was so big man-heavy, and big men just don't really get a lot of shine in college. You know what I'm saying, Shu?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I look back to the draft two years ago with the the Derek Rose and Michael Beasley draft, and I look at that one. And I think that one was ended up being really deep. Mm-hmm. Where you guys you got like Robin Lopez going after the lottery. Right. You have um, you know Brook Lopez going tenth. Um, you, know, you have got Courtney Lee in the twenties, Ryan Anderson in the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, a lot of nice players in that in that draft. Uh, once you get go deep into it. And I think that was uh, – I remember I was at USA Basketball Camp last year and realized how many of guys from that draft were there, um, you know, in that tryout camp that they had last year. There's 25 guys, and I think eight or nine of them for, were from the uh, 2008 draft.
1: Sure, we could – I mean, and we'll get into the trades and some of the other stuff that went on on draft night in a second. But let me ask you, I mean, just on pure player acquisition uh, – you know, on draft night, who did you think made out like bandits? I mean, who who came out, you know, with, with a great haul of uh, talent? And who did you think left a lot to be desired? Like, who didn't make well, a mark on draft night?
5: Well, if you, you start with the top, and I think you go with the top three teams, I think you, you can't argue with them. And, and obviously they, they made out well with Wizards getting John Wall, the Sixers getting Evan Turner, and the Nets getting Derek Favors. And I like what the Nets did later, getting uh, trading up for Damian James, the kid from Texas. Mm-hmm. I like that. I uh, was going to give them some some toughness that they need, some somebody willing to play defense. Um, and then after that, Minnesota, you, you know, I guess I guess we'll see. I mean, I think how you grade the, the Timberwolves depends on on how Demarcus Cousins turns out. And I realize they have Al Jefferson and Kevin Love there already, but they they're not willing to play those two guys together apparently because they worry about the defensive end so i guess cousins would add to that but i mean i think there's just a there could be a huge difference between cousins and wesley johnson um a few years a few years down the line so they got they got wesley and then then later on they i think they got a reach at number 30 which is a guaranteed contract with this kid um hayward mm-hmm. uh lazar hayward yeah lazar hayward was a little bit of a reach at thirty, and the thing is, reaching at thirty is tough because that's a that's a guaranteed contract. Right,
4: right. you know, shoe, you bring up West um, Wesley Johnson, and I, you know, I got a chance to watch him a lot just because I'm a, a Big East fan, and you know, I'm from Western New York. I like his whatnot. pants,
1: by the way, Vince. His uh, pants were fly. The, the trousers were rocking.
4: His pants, he, he was a he was <laughs> a well dressed guy. joint. The, the I pajama mean, had, pants, yeah. <laughs> it almost looked a little bit like skids. Remember skids from <laughs> back in the day? But no, I thought he was fly. But um. I, you know, he's almost 23, and I I wonder what you all think about this, but if you can't average more than 16 points a game as a 22-year-old playing against a bunch of 18- and 19-year-olds, then that gives me a lot of pause about your ceiling and your potential in the NBA. When J.R. Smith, even somebody like J.R. when J.R. Smith was 22 years old, he'd have been dropping 30 a game on on collegiate players.
1: Yeah, I mean, shoot, I don't know how you feel about it, but my, my thing is this. I think Tosh Gibson from Chicago is is a cautionary tale for assuming that a guy who's older has topped out at the collegiate level only because the game is so different. Um, You know, Tosh Gibson's a guy who's, you know, 20, I think 24, 25, if I'm not mistaken, as a rookie this past year Mm -hmm. and played great for Chicago. Sam Young's another guy who was in the same high school class with, like, Dwight Howard, Josh Smith, Al Horford, and these guys. Marvin Williams, all those young guys. And – had a decent rookie year. I mean, it just depends. I think on what position you play mm-hmm. and what situation you're in in the NBA. Because just because you maybe have reached your ceiling mm-hmm. as a player, doesn't I mean you can't be an effective player.
4: Let me let me jump in here, Shu, before we bounce it to you. I think that the 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 paramount difference between somebody like a Sam Young or even a Taj Gibson and a and a West Johnson is that Wes was picked number four. You know what I mean? That's I don't a good think point. you don't That's want to you. You you want a little more than a Sam Young. You want you you want a little more than a Taj Gibson when you're picking four, especially when you're picking it at one of those dynamic positions like a a wing player, and especially when you have people on the board that might end up being far better than than what than what that young man would be. So I mean, like, where, where where do you fall out on that one, Shoe? On the? No, the, I agree. Mm-hmm. I
5: I agree, and especially with Cousins still on the board, I think you know. It, he, I mean, everybody believes he. This, this kid's got a world talent. I mean, I've stood next to him. The kid's a beast. Um, so I mean, he might be. You know, we're not going to know for another couple of years. Exactly. But, mm-hmm. Um, it could be something that that they're going to regret. Um, going beyond that though, I think I liked what the Clippers did. They got um, me too. I
1: love the Clippers How draft.
5: Aminu at uh number eight. They traded to get Bledsoe at eighteen and I like the I like the Willie Warren pick late in the second yeah, round too. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, that's a that's a kid that was really high up on boards like a year ago and then just, you know, was in a crummy situation in Oklahoma this year. Um and, you know, fell down. But I mean if if that was just a matter of it being a bad situation, um, you know, they right. may have gotten a real nice talent in the late pick. And the thing was with the Clippers is they have five guys under contract. So no matter what they do in free agency, they need some talent to fill out that roster and to get it, um, you know, cheap in the draft like this. You know, that's obviously that's big.
1: Should, should we feel ill, Shu, that we uh, not only like what the Clippers did this year, but the fact that they got Blake Griffin. I mean, uh, I feel strange being enamored with the Clippers and the work they've done in the draft last two years. I'm not. I'm not sure this is proper. To uh, be this excited <laughs> about what the Clippers might put on the floor.
5: The weird thing about it is they don't have a general manager or
4: a coach <laughs> right now. That's
1: so, the crazy thing. My, but my man,
4: Oshie. We, I mean, like he's sort of the acting general manager right now. I yeah. mean, he's he's doing his thing because obviously wasn't Donald Sterling making these
2: picks. I don't so. know. We don't know you who know, was making these I, picks.
4: I, I lo- I'm glad you brought that up though, Shoe, because I love the clip what the Clippers did. I was a big fan of Aminu. I mean, he, he's a, merc- a mercurial talent. So we could be talking about five years from now, we could be talking about a bus So we could be talking about a star. I guess that's the case with, with any everybody. college player, but yeah. he, for some reason, his game, um, tip typifies that, you know, that risk a little more to me. I think that he's going to end up being really good, but Bledsoe, we didn't get a chance. A lot, we didn't get a chance to see a lot. What we've been hearing is that, Oh, you know, if Bledsoe would, would have played on any other team besides Kentucky with, uh, John wall, and he would have been running the show. We might've been talking about a top 10 pick and, Here's the one thing that used to kind of trip me out a little bit is when I first started watching Kentucky and I wasn't as familiar with both of those guys' games, sometimes I would see Bletso take off on the break and I was I would think I'm watching John Wall. You know, like the, the the guy has a lot of game and with them sending Telfair away and bringing him in there, he's not like he's going to get 25 minutes a game anyway because he's playing behind Barron. That's a good situation for him.
5: Yeah, I mean, you can almost compare it to all the UCLA uh guards uh, with Westbrook and Holiday mm-hmm. and um, Collison Collison exactly you know all those guys you know playing on top of each other in school and all three of them have turned out uh, to be nice NBA players like the one that's funny though the one thing when I watched I, I, I honestly didn't watch them much but I watched them a couple times and the one player I really liked was Patrick Patterson mm-hmm. so I really like what the rock I like the Rockets getting him at 14 uh, I thought he was a really solid player. Like he's the one guy that stood out to me more than Cousins when I watched Kentucky play. Obviously, Cousins has the size, but when I watched them play, I said, "I like the way this guy plays. He's solid, smart, doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't make mistakes." I think, I think the Rockets got
4: a nice player there at 14. Do you do do you guys ever um, like if if a specific team picks a player? Does that ever make you think a little bit higher of them? So, for instance, you know, Daryl Morey has his track record with, no. you know, just talent scouting and and whatnot. Or, you know, of course, I'm gonna go with my man James Anderson, who got picked up by San Antonio. Does, do do certain teams put stamps of approval on prospects? No,
1: not not for me, Shu. Mm-hmm. Um, because the same the same Spurs organization that picks, you know, Manu Ginobili in the second round one year and gets gets their hands on Tony Parker late picks. Uh, What's the guy's name? Mahini, or whatever his name is they got now. They, yeah, they
4: got some. I mean, they, every every but franchise Hills, has Blair. Yeah, yeah. Every franchise
1: know. has great picks and so and they and they bust on picks sometimes. The, yeah, to me the the telltale difference is do you consistently nail it late in drafts? And that's mm-hmm. where I think San Antonio and, you know, teams like that always get the benefit of your doubt. Detroit always seems to find solid players late in drafts mm-hmm. um, and outside of the lottery. Shoot, and, and I mean, along the same lines of Vince's question, did you see anybody that fell down this year, you know, past that deep lottery down in Danny Granger territory, like down 17, 18 and beyond? Did you spot anybody that fell down there that you thought to yourself, this is the guy in this draft that's going to have that, that Tayshon Prince-like impact? on a team early in his career that Danny Granger like impact
4: besides my nephew James Anderson
1: besides Vince's blood brother and uh <laughs> you know uh pet player of the the century James Anderson uh
5: the one at 19 where the Celtics got Avery Bradley that could be a that could turn out to be a nice pick I don't yeah. know it depends on you know what the Celtics do this summer could will depend on you know, will will determine you know how much of an impact he can make early in his career, but he seemed like a really talented player. Um, and to get him at 19 could be a nice, uh, a nice deal. I like the Damian James pick, like I said, mm-hmm. uh, at 24 that the Nets got, they, you uh, know, you know, I talked to some people there. They, they thought he was going to be late lottery pick. And so uh, when they saw him drop and they, you know, they reached to get him, gave up uh, 27 and 31. And then Jordan Crawford, I guess is a possibility. Uh, yeah, big time score. Yeah,
1: big
4: time score. You know, so. Anytime, shoot, anytime you mention anyone from uh University of Texas, our super producer, Mike, Micah Hart, almost has a, a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, he's you know in throwing mean? up
1: the hook 'em horns every yeah. time a Texas <laughs> player is mentioned easily. Never mind the fact that Texas hadn't sniffed the Final Four since Micah was an embryo or whatever, but, you know. Not he, true. You got to stick with your team, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mention a couple
5: more times. You give me, and maybe I'll get invited back to the podcast. a
1: couple <laughs> There we go. There we go. <laughs> we love you, Shoot. Keep, I don't care. What, I don't care what you heard. We love you. Uh, well, now we talked about who did a good job. It's only fair that we talk about the flip side and who, who maybe didn't hit home runs with with, you know, great opportunities. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask about Minnesota and David Kahn once again having all these picks. You know, having multiple picks and. They piled up – you know, last year they piled up all those point guards and everybody was kind of scratching their head. This year they piled up – they piled up wingmen like, like it was crazy. I mean, the they didn't just ones, draft didn't. them. They, they traded for Martell Webster. Um, I'm not sure where they go in terms of who's a starter, who's in the rotation. You draft Wesley Johnson and then you bring in Martell Webster. It's like, you know, what's the point?
5: Yeah, I was I was just about to say exactly the same thing. I didn't get the, the Martell Webster trade at all, especially because that Ryan Gomes contract, um, is a nice little asset because it's not fully guaranteed. Um, and so I, I, you'd think that they could have got something better than, than Martell Webster for that contract, especially when they drafted Wesley Johnson. I mean, Wesley Johnson is supposed to be a small forward shooter, and they brought in a small forward shooter. They traded <laughs> for a small I don't get it. It's like especially if you pick a guy number four and you're a bad team in the first place, you – that guy better be starting and he better be playing 30 minutes a game at least next year you know I mean, what a, you have no, there's you have no no reason not to play him big minutes and 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 so why do you trade for a guy that's just going to take minutes away from you?
4: what about udo Ugh. at 6 what's your what's your thoughts on the udo pick
5: <laughs> it i it i don't know i don't know what i mean the be, all the <laughs> All the big men were the good. Oh, well, I guess they could have taken Greg Monroe, right? I love I love that indifference. Out. Shoot,
1: I hope you I don't, don't. know What to say? It's I hope you don't answer another... wifey's questions like that when she asks you something like, "How come you didn't go get the groceries I left on the list for you?" Well, uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, honey,
4: I... <laughs> <laughs>
1: he 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 flummoxed
4: you. That pick flummoxed you, huh?
5: It does. It does. I don't get. I just don't get
4: it. I thought I mean, they,
5: they they got. They got Stephen Curry last year, so it's not like, you know, they're a total disaster. But <laughs> I don't get that pick at all, really. No, I, I, I mean, I, w- I don't know, but I don't know enough about Udo to to really. I mean, and he may not turn out to be a nice player, but I don't see how he fits in, right, um, with the with the personnel that they already have. Somebody
1: somebody asked me Friday. They were like, "Is Udo this year's Jordan Hill?" The, the kid from Arizona who New York drafted last year and realized right away this just wasn't going to work and moved him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to see, because this is my big dilemma with the draft shoot, It's college kids are told day after day how important it is to go to school and stay for more than a year and don't just come here as a, you know, it's like don't use this as a pit stop. Use this to really come and get better and this and the other. Well, they do that. And if they're not lottery picks, you know, the first senior went off the board at like, what, 20-something? Mm-hmm. Um, the second round comes around and, you know, you see guys being drafted you've never heard of, you know, international players who will never see the league. I, I should be happy for Udo for going to school. You know, he went to Michigan and Baylor. I should be We should be happy for him, I think, probably going to school as long as he did and still being a lottery pick in an era when, you almost have no chance to get drafted high as a college third or fourth year college player. Don't get me wrong; I'm happy for the young man. By all means, get your money. And, you just don't and, want him on your team and
4: right? pursue and pursue your dream. Yeah, I just think it was I think it was a bad pick. Especially, you know, again, I liked Aminu and I liked Greg Monroe, and I thought that they had sp- specific talent, you know, skill sets that would uh, that would work well there in, in Golden State with with that. You know, offensive tempo and the personnel that they had there. So it was just, it was a puzzling pick. But uh, along the same lines, I wonder why, you know, ball players like Scotty Reynolds and Sh- and Sharon Collins weren't even drafted. I mean, those are those are guys that I would almost guarantee you in five years are going to be in the league, maybe not starting or starring, but you know, providing productive minutes for some squad, and they don't even get drafted. And those are both four year you know, seniors as well. So there's just no respect for seniors. Well, um, I
5: saw Sharon Collins at one of the Nets workouts, and that dude was big. <laughs> like, like, he like was fat like, big? Yeah. Oh, yeah. see, I didn't know that. I didn't know he had gained all that weight. That was there. Yeah, that was the one thing that, Like, he gained a lot of weight. I mean, part of it was an injury, I think he had like a groin injury after, mm-hmm. you know, in the weeks before the draft. But I think that was one of the things with him is that he was out of shape. Yeah, Bill Speak- Self
1: was on the set with us, by the way. Okay. Um, doing the draft show the other night, and that's one thing he talked about. Uh, Collins had a groin injury and gained like 20 pounds oh, okay. during the workout process, you. and ton, you know I think he said he got up to 219 pounds.
4: Yeah, but you know when you got it when when you have a second round pick and it's not guaranteed, you D- know. Deshaun well, Butler got drafted. I mean, we'll it's, so it's, yeah, I mean, it, I do nah, I like I like Deshaun a lot. Lots of things that could happen. Speaking of um, people with perceived weight problems, um, I know you can't shoot. This this is directed at you, shoot, because you were there. I know you can't get a good read on really anybody, you know, without without spending a lot of time with them. But I'm just wondering, being in and around DeMarcus Cousins Thursday night, what was your, you know, initial take on him as a person?
5: Well, actually, I talked to him uh, a couple weeks earlier at the – when the net, or actually a few days earlier. I shouldn't say a couple weeks. It was just last week when mm-hmm. the Nets worked him out with um, – with Derek Favors, and I heard
4: he beasted on Favors too.
5: No, I don't think uh, nobody knows that cause
4: <laughs> you weren't. I, well, thought, I thought you were there. Vince, Vince is plugged in. Here. They don't he's let like you, you in
5: until the very end, and all the guys are doing was shooting at the very end. Oh, so you so didn't. They
4: don't you didn't see any of the one on ones or anything like that. No. Oh, okay. No,
5: they had the, it was closed doors.
4: Okay. Um, his
5: personality. I mean, he's not. Uh, I don't know. He's the the guy. The guy from um, I, I don't see anything wrong with him. Like, I don't think he's he he's he's a problem kid or anything. Mm-hmm. He's just, just – his personality isn't – you know, you're not going to be drawn to him right away if you're just talking to him and say, oh, I really like this guy, you know. And then it's just a, a matter of does his personality get under his coach's skin or get under his teammate's skin. And that's the big question. It's a matter of how his teammates and his coach like him. I mean, Can I chime he- in here for just a second? Uh-oh. It just seems to me that if I were Demarcus Cousins and I didn't have an attitude problem, the fact that everyone is asking me what's wrong
4: with my attitude every five minutes would give me an attitude problem. <laughs> Michael,
1: you do have an attitude problem. Touché. What are you talking about? <laughs> you were Demarcus Cousins.
4: How many times can a guy answer that question without getting surly? Um, well, Why? you know what he doesn't—he doesn't get surly when you ask him the question. He answers it fine. I—I—I I, I don't think that. Here's my here's my thing. The older I get, the the less I identify with the younger generation. And I'm still young, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm only 31 years old. So, if I have a problem identifying with, you know, somebody like DeMarcus Cousins. Dude,
1: he's 19 or whatever. He's
4: well, I mean, he's 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 considerably younger than I am. I'm That's just what saying, I'm like, saying. He's the, like... genera- the but think about with how the generation gap continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger when you start getting to execs and coaches and stuff like that. Of course so, it does. I'm I'm gonna give the young, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the young dude some time to grow up. You know, even if even if I met him, and I even if I met him and I thought, you know what, this guy's a jerk. Even if that was the case, I'm still gonna give him some time to grow up before I start making like you know blanket statements about. <laughs> Who this guy is and, and what and what he's gonna be based on, you know him as a human being. Sure, I just we, think it's a little too. We got to
1: get shoe to help us get DeMarcus Cousins on the Hang Time podcast. Let's let him shoe help us out. Let's let's get him on here and see if we can dispel some of these these myths about his yeah, attitude. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be tight with him. Now you've seen him at workouts. And Did he teach you his dance? Hung out with him at the draft. Was he teaching you how to dance? dance you that's like, not
4: yeah. his John dance Wall dude John Wall Wall's no, the John one Wall, dancer, right John Wall has a dance like he has a John Wall dance but DeMarcus Cousins is always dancing like at all times <laughs> like he dances more than like LeBron James dance so he wasn't teaching you any dance moves so right now no. right now what you would still like the twists and the and, and the mashed on. potato and whatnot <laughs> Cabbage patch for me, man. Tell oh, him, shoe. Oh, doing
1: the cabbage patch. Uh oh. Tell him, shoe. Vince thinks if you're over 33 years old, you're like ready for the nursing home. No, That's, I don't. This cat's unbelievable. Shoe, you're
4: over 33. <laughs> yeah. What? Man, you age well. Good for you, buddy.
5: You know who the NBA player closest to me in age is? Allen Iverson. Tell okay. him,
1: shoe. School okay. us, school us, school us on the uh, on the business of the league, shoe. We pre- listen, John. We know. I know you got tons of stuff to do. Um, so we. Absolutely appreciate you joining us. And you need to come back because once we get knee deep into free agency and things kind of sort themselves out and New Jersey takes over the world, um, we need to get you on here to give us some insights on all the stuff that's going on up there, because I know you're gonna be all over it. So um, you I, be-
5: I just can't believe we spent 20 minutes on the draft with all this free agency talk going around. Oh, it's coming.
1: Nice. Believe me, we're getting ready to dive into that next. Um,
5: I'm, I'm impressed with ourselves. <laughs> you,
1: you having you haven't <laughs> dinner you talk with Jay
5: about the draft for 20 minutes without even mentioning that LeBron's going to Miami, Chicago, and LA. And no Jersey.
4: doubt. No doubt. I, I just want are you are you having dinner with Jay Z later on the day to get the <laughs> scoop on on what the deal is with New Jersey or like what?
1: I might Who, just
5: camp out at the Forty Forty Club for the next week okay.
2: or two. Okay, exactly. Okay, do that. I like
1: that shoe. Listen, John Schumann, NBA.com's very own, joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Shu, we appreciate it and yeah. uh, work on that answer now because when wifey gets home and wants to <laughs> wants to know what's up with dinner, you know, you know. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, you better have something to say now. <laughs> Him and and Horn, and the the All right, shoe. All,
4: right.
1: all right, fellas. Appreciate, Appreciate it, you. fella. J- John Schumann joining us here on the podcast. Vince, I keep forgetting how spry you are. Thirty one, man. I I remember thirty one fondly. Um, <laughs> I could play ball all day and not, you know, feel like I needed the jaws of life to get me up off the ground after we were done. All that good stuff, you know. See, it's- I
4: put us in the. S- I put us st- in the same generation. You know, I don't really. Think there- yeah, I don't think there's. Anybody in their from their late twenties to to late thirties, I put I think we're all like the same tail end the Gen X kind of thing. Right. But these, you know, I, my my youngest brother, you know, my I have two little brothers, and they're what twenty six and twenty four. Like my little brother's friends that are twenty four, they, they listen to waka flocka. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like it's really difficult to identify. Like they just came up with, and I'm not saying that one is right or one is wrong, but it just different sets of
2: mores.
1: Do you Do you think that the the generation have. gap is what's polarizing for guys now? Like when a Demarcus Cousins comes into the league and yeah, GMs who played in the '80s yeah. or you know are of of the that generation. Um, or maybe in the '90s, even you know, it was the same way. You when think we, that's the
4: when we were coming up, and like we had guys like you know Jalen Rose and Allen Iverson and Latrell Sprewell. We thought they were cool. Uh, you know, Jalen was
1: a year behind me in high. We mean thought they were. I mean, he was a year behind me in high school. I I don't want to date myself here either. But uh, these, these guys. You but well, <laughs> you well,
4: even if you didn't think he was cool, like I thought he was cool, like looking up to him, like, cool. You you didn't mind him. He was, no, he was absolutely. Cool, he was cool but guy. I'm just saying, like, yeah, yeah. But but. Uh, right, right around that time. Remember, it, it was the apocalypse when it came to the NBA and these this new breed of oh, NBA absolutely. player that's absolutely. coming in. So, although I think that this younger generation is a lot less rebellious than um, than some of the players in the mid '90s, there's still just that generational gap that caught that even a cultural gap that. Doesn't allow you, or not doesn't allow you, but it makes it more difficult for you to just take right. Demarcus Cousins for being Demarcus Cousins. No, I'm you, you want to cast, you know, character judgment on him. Like, oh, this guy has an attitude problem. Well, maybe he's just a 19 year old, and I always have to remember that because you know I like to judge
1: people. Yes, you do. You judge lots of people, but we love you for it. You I know? think he's
4: gonna. I think he's gonna be a great young ball player, and I ho- hopefully, you know, as he grows up, he's, you know, he'll be, um, an easier guy to get along with. You know what I'm saying? I don't know that he's a well, tough I, well, guy to
1: get along with right now. I feel bad for him because you know how the draft is. You don't know how much of that is that. legitimate right. and how much that. of that is just the hype of the draft. Think about all the guys who have yeah. who've gotten torpedoed on draft day, and not just in the NBA, but in other sports. And they've come back to it, it has come, turned out that that wasn't what they were about or that wasn't um You know true.
4: what? Shout out to Demarcus Cousins, man. I didn't mean to say that you were a tough guy to get along with because I don't know you. So I apologize for that. Man, why do, I'm apologizing on all these. I had to apologize to Ed Davis last week. You've
1: apologized to a lot of people lately, <laughs> and I think that ought to tell you something about your behavior, sir. Yeah, But man. it's all good. Um... You know, you say what you what you think, and then you can come back and clean it up later.
4: I just think it's weird that, <laughs> and I really think it's weird that I have to actually start thinking about that now. That lets you know that you're getting that that you're you're aging. That like now I have to these young dudes coming into the league. I ha, if whatever I think about them, I have to stop for a second and think: Are you not allowing them to be young men? Yeah. Or are, is is your estimation of them as young men or their character? Does it have to deal with you just not being able to identify with them the way their peers can? And in a lot of cases, I think, yeah.
2: No, I think that you I know? think
1: that's a good point. So leave people alone. I'm gonna try. Um, <laughs> try to. I know. <laughs> I know if I got you here, you'll you know you'll you'll keep me on my toes. Absolutely, and in, in that vein, you know, let's. We talked about the young guys. Now let's turn our attention to the the next hottest thing on the minds, and really, the, it's been the hottest thing on people's minds for months now. And that's free agency, which kicks mm. off in earnest um, Thursday in a couple of days here. Um, we we got another guest joining us here on the hang time podcast, somebody that we've been dying to get uh get on our air so we can talk to him and, and pick his brain a little bit. Um, Tom Penn, who's the former vice president of basketball operations for the Portland Trail Blazers and the set uh, capologist now um, applying his trade for ESPN letting his expertise flow. We got him here on the Hang Time podcast. Let's I, I want to make sure we don't let him get away from here without uh giving us some details. Tom, how are you?
3: Hey, doing good. How are you guys?
1: We're great. We're great. Doing well, Tom. Um and uh, listen, I know this has got to be the busiest time of year for any uh NBA executive or anybody who's charged with keeping tabs on the cap and learning how to, ma- you know, to manage it and maneuver Uh, around it, but is this summer even more interesting because you have such a heralded free agent class and the CBA conversation that's going on behind closed doors and and behind the scenes looming in another year where there could be some sort of work stoppage or what have you? I mean, does all of that at one time make this summer even more crazy from a cap perspective?
3: A little bit. The stakes are just higher. You know, we kind of go through this every year where we have – the, the draft and then right after free agency and you have teams kind of that's your opportunity to, to make over your team or to create hope for the future to get young talent or to clear cap space to get the veterans via free agency and, and this year the stakes are just so much higher because of the richness of that class of free agents and then the aggressive moves that so many teams have made get cleared room. Some of it was just circumstance because you had a lot of big contracts expiring at the same time, but then teams started to take advantage of it and really got aggressive. So that kind of created all this drama that's hanging out there. I mean, who's going to win? Who's going to win come <laughs> July 1? And and we're, we're it's, it's right here. It's upon us.
4: Tom, I'm glad we have you on the line because a lot of our listeners, um, they can, you know, try as hard as they as they can but it's difficult to get a full grasp of all the things that um, come into play w- with with the uh, NBA salaries and you know team salaries right so we got Professor Tom Penn on the line <laughs> I want you I want you to give I want you to give our listeners like a you know a little lesson so fr- first question okay let's say you have a team like Atlanta who has a free agent like Joe Johnson and you know a lot of people around here in Atlanta they'll ask me okay well even if Joe uh, doesn't re-sign with us, we can just take his – I think he's what, – was he doing 18 this year? We can just take his 18 million or whatever he's making and sign somebody else for a max contract. Why Why is that not possible with the way NBA salary caps are structured?
3: Yeah, I'm glad we're going to get this one out of the way early because <laughs> that's, the, that's the biggest myth out there. And I'll tell you what, it's a myth even among players. You know, So a lot of really well-known players who know the league and everything think that might be the case. Hey, if you lose a guy – making 15 million cuz he retires or he leaves via free agency, we got 15 million to spend, right? And the answer is usually wrong. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Atlanta, that's a good example. The only time you can spend freely is if your collective team salary is below the cap. So they're going to set the cap at something around 56 million. We don't know for sure, but let's project it at that. So in the Atlanta case, if you take all the salaries off of Joe Johnson and all the other guys who are going to expire, the most room a team like that can get is like $6 million under the cap because of their other commitments. They add up to close to $50 million. So that makes a guy like Joe effectively irreplaceable unless you do another sign-and-trade or figure out some other way to get the asset replaced. Same logic applies for some of the other big guys out there, like Chris Bosch. Um, you know, the Amari Stoudemire situation is a little different because they could clear some room, but it would be painful. So, the fundamental reason for it is those guys don't have their own slots where you can just immediately replace. If, if the guy rolls off or leaves, the only way you can replace him is if you don't, if you're under the uh, effectively under the cap, and you got to be under the cap by. As much as you want to spend. So, in mm-hmm. you know, in Joe's case, you got to get
4: down to if you want to get
3: another kind of max guy, it's going to start at probably sixteen point six million, and they're just not one of those teams that can do it.
4: But and, and then, Tom, explain to our listeners why a team like Atlanta, however, or Toronto, or Cleveland with LeBron, why even though they might not be fifteen to twenty million dollars under the cap, why they can resign a Joe Johnson. Or Toronto can resign Chris Bosh, or, t- or Cleveland can resign LeBron.
3: Right. So taking that salary cap of $56 million, that's a soft cap. In the end, they have a hard salary cap. They establish a number, and year to year, they cannot go over it. They can fiddle around with signing bonuses and some other things, move money around to, to kind of get around things. But they have a hard cap. Same in hockey. In the NBA – The uh, LeBron example is a system that's a soft cap that teams can go over that and spend more than what the cap is for good reasons. Cleveland, the last thing they want to be able to tell their fans is, boy, we lost LeBron James because we can't go over the cap. Long ago, the league said, we don't want teams losing their stars. Teams should have a chance to keep their stars. And that's called the Larry Bird exception. You can always sign your veteran free agent. If he's been with you for three years, you can sign him up to the maximum, exceed the cap, and and no consequence other than, you know, you're just spending more money. Same for Kobe. You know, that's why the Lakers are able to extend Kobe at north of $20 million because they've developed him. He's their guy. So another classic exception and these are all the exceptions the reason you can spend over the cap is to sign your first round draft pick Mm -hmm. i mean how bad would it be for washington or philadelphia if they had to tell their fan base you know we got john wall we got evan turner but you know what we can't sign them
4: because we're already over the cap Mm -hmm.
1: right tom can we ask you about uh current players like you know in and in an example—I I hate to beat up on Joe Johnson, but Joe Johnson is a, to me in in respects to his age, and where he's at in his career is a lot like Hito Turgaloo was, to a lesser extent last year, where he had teams chasing him hard. You know, because the circumstance of whatever free agent class you're in, certain players become hot or hotter commodities because of the year they come out. How do you how do you weigh giving a player a huge contract? when he's at this age, 29, 30 years old, knowing full well that he might not be the same player in two or three years even, let alone five or six. Yeah, I'll tell you, in
3: free agency, uh, it, it's economics 101. It's <laughs> supply and demand. Right. And the, the demand is so high for these for players of that caliber. I mean, Joe is a great player, and the supply doesn't meet the demand. Mm. I mean, there just are not enough guys. You can – get in the debate among executives or coaches or experts like you guys where you'd say, how many max guys are out there? And some are going to put Joe in that category, some are not. And, you know, the main reason somebody would say not is what you alluded to, his sure. age and where he is in his career.
2: Right.
3: But when you start ticking off the names, uh, you're going to get to him probably before you move to the second hand. I mean, I think you're going to get to him in the top five right. or six. And we have... Well when free when free agents well when the draft before the draft we had nine teams with double digit cap room available to, that could theoretically spend the maximum on a player. Now a couple of those teams have backed out Oklahoma City and Washington, right But there's still seven teams out there, and three of those teams are looking for two guys. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, seven, nine that's eleven spots, and there aren't that many guys so. Because of that, you're going to see guys like Joe. You're going to see other guys that you might put in the second tier, you know, still phenomenal players, but probably not max guys. Well, their money's going to jump up because it only takes one and nobody wants to get shut out. Right.
1: Well, who do you think, if you look at those seven teams we're talking about, basically, that have the space and the resources to get something done in free agency, who stands to gain the most, do you think? Is it just strictly the team that gets LeBron and D. Wade in that order? or is it somebody else that maybe surprises and lands multiple players that maybe we didn't expect, you know, like, say, New Jersey or somebody else ends up with a great combination of these players?
3: You know, it really depends on how this thing shakes out. I I think it's certainly bigger than LeBron. Look, Mm -hmm. we always talk about LeBron, and and, and it's the first thing on everybody's mind, and it's what we always get to quickly, but, uh, you know, you mentioned Wade. For me, it all starts with Wade because Mm – Wade, I assume, and everyone assumes, is going to stay in Miami. Mm -hmm. So if he stays in Miami, he's on the recruiting trail right now to get one or two other guys to come with him. So they're looking to build a juggernaut in South Beach. So they have the most to gain, and they have the most money available to do it. Uh, If Wade should shift gears and leave, of course that changes everything, but let's assume he goes there. Everybody's going to be focused on the LeBron decision, but you're right. I mean, other teams might be able to get two guys not named LeBron and really improve their lot. And what's going to be really interesting is, is is one of these teams going to take that approach? I mean, somebody at some point here is going to say, hey, LeBron, we would love to have you, but we can't wait for you. If right. you want to come, come. You're our first choice. But if you're not coming, we got to move on to plan B, and, you know, they, they should do that immediately because somebody who puts all their eggs in the LeBron basket and loses – is looking at getting shut out while everybody else takes care of their business.
4: Tom, let's talk about Miami for a second. Um, because, And as, as a matter of fact, um, you were one of the first people that you, I saw on television sort of um, hype, not hyping, but alerting people to the fact that Miami has some real options with how much cash. But if you take Dwayne Wade off, they're only at about, you know, under $11 million in, in payroll, you know, which gives them upwards of $45 million to spend. So it's possible they could go after two max guys and plus re-sign Dwayne Wade. But, ex- again, explain to our listeners why that makes building a, a, 12, a 12-man team that much more difficult when you need 12 contracts by the time the season starts.
3: Well, I don't know if it does. I mean, I, I think if you can get three mega stars uh, and, and whoever's going to coach them,
2: <laughs>
3: All right, then you're going to fill in with um minimum type players. Now they they had four second round picks, so let's assume two to two or three of those guys make the team. You probably have three rookies at the end of the bench. And then that means you got six in the middle to get to your number to your 12. And you're going to be able to go to six veterans and say, "Hey, we're doing something special." come here to South Beach, there's no state income taxes, and come join the juggernaut that we're going to build. We're going to get a ring this year. That sort of uh, sales pitch usually works. You know, the real challenge for, for me, and I'm sure for them, is just the significant financial commitment you're talking about making for five years each. I mean, if they signed them outright as... Free agents. You're talking about 96 million dollar commitments, and then if they do with with Dwight D Wade, it's going to be more like 126 million. And then if you want to double that and triple that, you know, you're talking upwards of 400 million committed Whoa. on three guys over five years, and that's pretty strong.
4: Would it make sense for one of the one of the quote unquote max players to be a little less than max, and maybe go after a guy like say Rudy Gay? A mini-max guy. A mini-max guy, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. You know what I say? Mini-max. I'd say that's still a, a strong, strong double-digit earner. You know, mm-hmm. a guy that makes maybe thirteen million a year or fourteen a year instead of jumping up into the eighteen a year. Right. Um, you know, I, well, Rudy Gay is a, a, a good question. You know, I think Rudy could be one of those uh, tier two guys that leaps up and grabs a lot more money than people think because of the scarcity out there. Um. You know, I think it might be more likely that they kind of retain some really important role players like Udonis Haslam uh, or or other guys that they feel committed to that uh, they know, they know the system, they can count on them, that kind of thing. If they go with two glamour guys and then fill their their roster out with the remaining 15 million or so, which could include Beasley still. I mean, he's still on their roster and he's a good player. um, They'll – they have a lot of options in Miami. It's going to be interesting to see what they do.
1: Tom, uh, one one other thing I wanted to ask, and it's really in relation to what's going on the last couple of years in the league and and how it affects free agency. I can't remember teams even contemplating adding two and three different max players on a roster before the, the quote-unquote big three got put together in Boston. And now we've got multiple teams talking about it. How much of this summer do you think is a product of, hey, it worked in Boston. They you know, they they won a championship, played for another. It's bound to work somewhere else. I mean, I, I would be nervous if I'm a general manager or an owner that just because it worked in Boston doesn't mean it's gonna work everywhere else. And I'm and I'm curious as to how much you think the the recent success with that kind of uh theory is being put to test this summer.
3: Well, we are, the old saying is we're a league of followers. If something works, we all kind of follow and try to do it. I mean, that's a simplification, but uh, that's, that's kind of what you're arguing for here. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. You know, take a step back and look at the two ways that teams are trying to use their cap room to build teams. So a number of these teams went all in, and they're in the free agent derby trying to get as many high-powered, big-time guys as they can. And you look at what Oklahoma City and Washington are doing. They're taking the opposite approach, where they're hitting doubles. They're not swinging for the fences, and they're using that cap room to acquire players. So, Oak City on draft day, they needed a big man, and they worked an arrangement with New Orleans, where they picked up Cole Aldridge. Mm-hmm. And what they had to do was take Mo Pete six point two million off of New Orleans' books, because New Orleans was coincidentally six million over the luxury tax. Now, when you go over the luxury tax, it's a triple whammy. You you pay the player six million, you pay the league six million in penalties, and then you forfeit, you know, about four million of your tax share. So that's a fourteen million dollar hit. Mm-hmm. So back to New Orleans, or back to a, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Oklahoma City. They're sitting there with that, use that space to their advantage to get a big man for the future, and they've built that team organically, doing deals like that. Washington's trying to do the same thing Ted Leonsis has done this in hockey he did it with uh, Alex Ovechkin when they Mm -hmm. got him and they built with a bunch of young players so they could grow up together and develop and Ted's been very open about saying that's his strategy so not everyone's out there swinging for the fences you know and and those that strike out and somebody's gonna um, will be questioned uh, probably unfairly, but they're going to be questioned about you know, what that strategy was all about and whether it was the right way to do it.
4: You know, Tom, you have teams like uh, Chicago that are, already have some nice young pieces and could add two more max players. And the same thing with New Jersey. Um, my, my, we just spoke about Miami. And if our teams like Orlando Magic or the Los, An- Los Angeles Lakers are defending champs, the Dallas Mavericks, you really have to think about improving improving your your roster and sort of keeping up with the with the arms race. But with those teams not being under the salary cap, and in some cases like LA and Orlando being you know far you know into luxury tax land, what can you do to to maybe lure one of these max players away and get them to your team?
3: Well, let's get one thing straight. You know, I don't think LA or Orlando is is are chasing these teams that have all this space. I think it's the other way around.
2: Mm -hmm. Everybody's
3: trying to chase, well, certainly L.A. Um, They've got a a core of players that has proven that it works. Um, You know, there's no guarantee that even if you get two and three max guys together with a bunch of role players that it's going to work, right? Um, That's that's what the coaches are going to have to do and then see how the chemistry plays out, so everybody's still chasing these established teams who have a veteran core that's coming back together and that's and hungry to, to, uh, to do it. But to your question, the way a veteran team like Dallas can make a dramatic move or a team like Houston or a team like Portland um, is the way they can get in the mix here is what I call a dark horse team in free agency. These dark horse teams can do sign-and-trades.
0: And the way it would work
3: is that one of these glamour-free agents is going to go to his former team and say, I'm ready to leave. I'm sorry it hasn't worked out for us, and, you know, I'm going to go. And I'm going to go to, let's say, New York or New Jersey or Chicago. I'm going to go to one of those teams for nothing. But I'd prefer to go to Dallas and join Mark Cuban or to go to Portland for Mr. Allen or to go to Houston Alexander and I want to do that and they have what you need they have a combination of expiring contracts and young talent so you can rebuild your team and so if you take the Houston example they could put together Shane Battier Jarrett Jeffries who have one-year contracts seven million each that's 14 million and then they could throw in the most improved player in the league Aaron Brooks and maybe a couple of first-round picks, including the Knicks' first-round pick in a couple years that the Knicks have given up. And you get a nice, pretty good little package there that at least doesn't leave the team losing the glamour guy totally naked out there. So, It'll be interesting to see if the players and their agents attempt to broker that kind of deal to get to an established team rather than to go somewhere that's going to start over.
4: Do, do you see, Tom, do you see sign-and-trades being a significant player in, in the coming month?
3: I think we're looking at potentially a mega simultaneous <laughs> sign-and-trade because even if the teams that are losing players get nothing back but a giant trade exception, mm-hmm. it's worth it because it gives them the flexibility to build their team. So let me explain how that works. I mean, look, the trade exception that you – here's how it works. You re-sign your own guy, your glamour guy, who has told you he wants he's going to leave and you're going to get nothing in return. So you choose to sign him and immediately trade him to the team he wants to go to. If that team's under the cap, they can just take him in and give you – a draft pick back maybe, or they can give you nothing back other than a giant trade exception. So if one of these guys signs for $16.6 million, the team that gives him up is going to get a trade exception for $16.7 million, and that's a slot they can use for one calendar year to try to rebuild their team. And don't get me wrong, the trade exception cannot shoot, cannot rebound, and cannot <laughs> guard it. <him.
2: laughs> right. All
3: right? But what it, what it can do is be a place where you can go find somebody to put in that space who can do those things. And it, it's better than nothing. So, you know, it gives Atlanta, if this happens with them, the chance to replace Joe Johnson with some combination of players, you know, in the next calendar year. So uh, I think you're going to see a ton of that kind of activity. I think there could be enough momentum with those deals that where maybe three or four teams do those all together and then sort out the veteran players that change hands amongst that group. Uh, Similar to what happened with the last lockout, there was a a one-month period of time where we were able to freely negotiate deals, and then I happened to be a part of that one in Memphis where we ended up uh, getting a simultaneous deal with two teams, then a third one, then a fourth one. I think we had six at the end of it. It was the biggest trade in NBA history, and it was because we all
1: benefited from doing it at the same time. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: listen, we—I feel—I uh, feel like we need to give you a uh, an invoice. For all yeah, the, right. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is a this or all, at least a shiny apple. Exactly. We gotta we gotta make uh, our producer Micah Hart send you uh, his firstborn for all that information. So no, no, no. Dude <laughs> 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 shoot, Professor but Penn. Professor Penn it is. Man, listen, you. I know you're gonna be busy in the coming months, but this is information we're gonna keep, you know, at the ready for for listeners of the Hangtime Podcast because it's such detailed stuff that I don't think you know people have. Picked up all the nuances of it, and and I and one last question I got to ask: How long does it take to really get schooled in this? Because I can't imagine you can go to college and take a class in the CBA and and learn it. Yeah,
3: you know I don't. That's a good question. I this I've been in the league ten years, so this will be my eleventh season. And frankly, about year six is when I really felt like all these things were clicking and humming, Mm -hmm. Um, and. It, it, and what's hard with this is that you don't do these things but once a year. Like, you you don't have the free agent pursuit except for, you know, and then you wait a year to do it again. And and for a lot of teams, they don't have cap room but once every seven years. I mean, in my decade in the league, I've only had significant cap room once. So you have to really roll your sleeves up and go to work on the nuances and the details because yeah. it doesn't come along that often. But, um Hey look, it's not that complicated. This mm-hmm. is the old lawyer's trick. You just you just make it sound a lot worse than it is when <laughs> you got
1: job security. <laughs> well, we appreciate it, Tom, and uh and we look forward to seeing uh seeing you down the road and certainly uh hearing some more of your insights if we can. So, we appreciate you coming on with us. Absolutely. Thank,
4: thank you, Professor Penn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> take care, guys. All right, All right. take care.
1: Right. Bye. Vince, Yo. I'm thinking about getting a trade exception for you. I'm gonna trade. Listen, let's, no, let's, we can both come uh, out. We can make out like this. Listen, what? Listen, listen, all right. I'm listening. Let's find another podcast. We make a we make a trade. You go to the other. We get listen, all right. and then when you're a free agent, we'll have the room to sign you back. I don't know, man. I think, man. I think, I think there's some dastardly stuff going think, on in that. Brain you think of this yours, is an man? underhand, under the table deal yeah, going on? Man. We're gonna get fined by the league.
4: Yo, but on the real, listeners. If I hope you had your pads and your pens out, and you were taking, you were jotting down notes so that this summer, when you know, all this activity is happening, you understand what's going on and why it's able to go on. Because um, Tom did a really nice job yeah. of of explaining what, like people like you and I, either we have to go to people like him and like sit them Get down and on talk it. to, yeah, absolutely. or we just got to, you know,
1: it's a great primer for uh, yeah. for Thursday and. In- for for the open of free agency, because mm-hmm. I think the the one thing he hit on that I that I don't assume that a lot of people are prepared for is the fact that to to assume these free agents are going to walk free and clear mm-hmm. and leave money on the table because that's the other part of the sign and trade that that we didn't get into is that you get that extra year when you do that sign and trade like you can walk away Joe Johnson any of these unrestricted free agents can walk away but they got to take one less year from right. another team right. You do that sign and trade; you get that extra year. You get that's another twenty-seven, thirty million dollars sure, in, in the case of some 30, of these guys. Um, that the makes table. a huge difference, and it's the way that te- you know the league has devised a way, and the league and the, you know and the union and everybody has devised mm-hmm. a way to keep anybody from being just pillaged in this process. Um, let,
4: let, let me say this too the, uh, on something that I actually disagree with, mm-hmm. Professor Penn about. If Miami if at the end of the you know, if my if my if Miami has Dwayne Wade and let's say Rudy Gay mm-hmm. and uh, Amari Stoudemire and Haslam and a couple other veterans, you know, and over in Chicago they're dealing with Noah and Rose and Brown and Bosch, you know, uh New Jersey has Derek I mean Devin Harris and mm-hmm. Joe Johnson and Carlos Boozer and mm-hmm. Brooke Lopez. I, I'm sorry. I think that a team like Los Angeles needs to look at that and say no we can't let that happen. We we got to improve too cuz LA as presently constituted, Orlando as as presently constituted, if these if some of these teams hoard these really really good players, like it seems like they're going to do this summer, I I I think that I don't think that you can call LA a prohibitive favorite. I don't know how much of a contender Orlando will be. That's why Orlando's actually trying to. I heard they were going after Chris. Um, Chris Paul. Yeah, I and mean, there's even rumors
1: that they might be talking to, with the Wizards. Yeah, about to a get deal. What a deal it mm-hmm. or is. But I think the difference being what you're talking about. Ask yourself this: the Lakers basically already have. They've done this already. Mm-hmm. They got Gasol. They got Kobe. Mm-hmm. They got Lamar Odom and Ron Artest. They have two elite front line, top twenty players in the league, top fifteen. A lot of people would say in Gasol and Kobe. And then they have two second-tier cats in our test in in Lamar Odom. Regardless of what you think of him, mm-hmm. there's a long stretch of his career where Lamar Odom was paid like a number one guy on a lot of, in a lot of places. But I also – So, I mean, you just
4: – I think you look at Lamar, though, because if, if you're talking about signing trades, you look at somebody like Lamar who – I think Lamar is paid very reasonably. He's, yeah. you and know, you forget you
1: didn't even mention – I mean, I didn't even mention Andrew Bynum, who when Bynum. healthy is another elite-level player. So, I mean, they and have th- multiple – double digit million earners on that roster but right now. They what, have this already.
4: But I think that if you're a team like Toronto and, and you're thinking about losing Chris Bosh for nothing, let's say LA comes up to you and says, "Let's let's talk about a Bosh for Andrew Bynum and, you know, some throw-ins." Ooh. I think you got to listen I, and I think everybody's LA, listening. And I think LA has to, I think LA has to be proactive about that, man. Every, listen,
1: everybody's listening. But the one difference between what you're talking about like these teams that look good on paper Mm-hmm. In these teams that we know are good on the court, is Lakers are doing this right now. You know, mm-hmm. whatever you say, they're doing this and they have their core group locked down for basically the next four years at least. Mm-hmm. Kobe has an extension, Gasol, Bynum, Bynum Artest. Odom. I mean, well, Odom is for three more years. You know, yeah, they okay. have their core group locked down. So th- that's what makes this summer great. And we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks now. um, on the podcast here and everywhere else. This was the time of year we were talking about everybody getting ready for, and it's here now, and it seems strange because I feel like the hype has kind of died down now, and, like, everybody's really analyzing this, looking, going, well, who can do what, and mm-hmm. what player's going to do what. I mean, it's it's much more methodical now as we get here to the, you know, to the eve of all this stuff than it was months ago when, you know, it sounded hilarious. Yeah, LeBron will go to New Jersey or New York, and
4: now you, now it's like, yeah. well, if
1: he doesn't go. Somebody's got to go.
4: And here's my thing. And, you know, we're going to later on in the week, you know, uh, we're planning on taping a, a free agency blowout. We're HT- coming back. Of HTP. course, you know And I'm just going to put a little teaser out there. For the past two years, I always thought that LeBron was going to stay in Cleveland. I think that that's almost like there's like zero chance of that now. But I, I'm going to wait till we – I'm going to wait till our you wait too later to, to – let, To let the HTP listeners know why I think that's You're going to go case. home and
1: soak up some of that Tom Penn uh- – capology business and then come back with an answer
4: oh no it'll just all be conjecture and baseless hey you know my favorite <laughs> you know like it won't be anything concrete but That's the I best. just uh, i i he's he's gone sorry cleveland you heard it here first i'm gonna let you know why though
1: vince Later thomas on. he's got he's riding lebron james out of town on a on a small big wheel
4: do you listen to the roots of course did you have you heard their new album of course okay i Uh, don't go there don't do it no i haven't no i haven't i'm just giving people teases i have a free agency analogy (laughs) when it comes to the new roots album how i got over so you know
1: (laughs) we get we got to tune in later on we're getting the hook let's go we're getting the hook from michael hart our super producer he's giving us the business we got to get out of here did you see toy story 3 but we appreciate you joining (laughs) us on the hang time podcast shanku smith from the hang time blog at nba.com vince thomas who's apparently lost his gourd here in the fat <laughs> last few minutes. We, we we'll too be much back, learning. though. We'll be back, uh, you know, definitely later this week and, and in the free agency. So stick with us here on the Hang Time Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. Tom Penn, the capologist for ESPN, former uh, executive of the Portland Trail Blazers, and John Schumann, NBA.com's very own, joining us to break down the draft. See you next time.
0: Matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com/slash-with-amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue.
2: Terms apply.